you can build this whole superstructure in your mind of, you know, what is it to be a Christian in the, in the workplace? And there are things about, you know, sort of, we should be highly ethical, for example, or this kind of business versus that kind of business. There's a lot of thinking about the intersection of faith and work. I actually think the most powerful thing I've, I've come to believe the most powerful thing is my willingness in a very natural, personal way to simply speak of my affiliation with Jesus. All right, well, welcome to Integrate Faith and Innovate Episode 8 with hosts Hannah Stoles and F.T. Chong. Um, welcome. I am a director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation and professor of marketing and supply chain management at Wheaton College. And I'm here with my co-host, F.T. Chong, head of private capital for Pine Bridge Investments. So this is the podcast for conversations about the integration of faith with practical tips for everyday decision-making in business. So um, welcome, Scott. It's great to have Scott G. Stevenson, Chairman, President, and CEO of Verisk Analytics with us today. Um, Scott brings more than 30 years of ex executive experience and a successful record of strategic leadership um, and innovation. And so Scott's focus is on long-term value creation that's enabled the company's peer-leading financial growth. Since its initial public offering in 2009, um, the largest IPO that year, Verisk has increased its revenue at a compound annual rate growth of 10%. And I think their stock today, FT said, is at an all-time high. So congratulations on that. Um, previously, Scott was appointed chairman of the board in 2016, CEO in 2013, and president in 2011. Um, starting in 2008, he served as Chief Operating Officer for five years. Before joining Verisk, Scott was a senior partner at Boston Consulting Group. He also served as an advisor to Silver Lake Partners, a technology-oriented private equity firm. So our conversation today will be about the role of faith in leading and growing a company and how faith plays into value and innovation. So with practical tips at the end for how we can apply this, in our spiritual maturity in light of all the challenges facing us. So Scott will share a little bit about this, his journey over the last 21 years with strategies that are aligned with his values, the Verisk way. So FT, perhaps we can start um, today with you talking a little bit about faith and spirituality and how it plays a role in our work, um, particularly in the ways that faith inspires us to empower our employees and coworkers. Um, we're speaking with one of the most innovative leaders in the world that leads one of the most innovative companies in America. So excited for our conversation today. Thank you so much. And thank you, Scott, for being here. Uh, we count this as the beginning of season two. So um, we, we, in season one, we spent a lot of time on this concept of uh, spiritual quotient, which is in, in addition to IQ and EQ, is an important part of what makes a great leader. And, uh, and not necessarily just Christians who, are, who have a spiritual quotient, but uh, Christians have a special gospel that, that, um, that anchors us uh, in times like these, especially. Um, so uh, we wanted to, to have you here uh, because we want to, to partly to share with other Christians in, in the workplace other professionals that they are Christians at senior levels uh, who are able to 
uh, not just function, but thrive in, in the world. And uh, so we look forward to this conversation. I think we can start by going back uh, 20, 30 years into your history and uh, let's talk a little bit about your background, your spiritual background. Yeah, thanks, FT. Thanks, Hannah. It's really great to be here with you. <clears throat> so um, uh, a couple of points of departure uh, uh, in, in my life. One, one is um, uh, I was technically trained. I actually studied engineering as an undergraduate and worked for a couple of years in the aerospace field, uh, working on the design me, of... Me too. You did also. I worked okay. for Motorola. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I was working on components of missile propulsion systems. So uh, uh, that was the very first work I did coming out of college. Um, and during that period of time, uh, I also became a Jesus follower at the age of 23, and I had grown up in a family uh, where we didn't we didn't go to church. I had I had no background whatsoever uh, in the Christian faith. Um, and long story short, basically, I, I discovered as a 22, 23 year old uh, that uh, circumstantially my life was a dream. I mean, I received more than anything I had ever imagined uh, wanting to have, uh, but a little bit like Augustine. You know, I, I just discovered that I had this God-shaped void in my heart, and uh, I didn't even know how to name it, but um, started talking with lots and lots of friends, just kind of describing my condition, and um, one of them asked me if I'd ever read the Bible, and I said, well, no, <laughs> you know, as, as in why would I do that, and he said, well, I'll get you one, and uh, this, is, this was a very close friend from high school. And he came back with a Bible, black leather bound Bible. And I said, well, how do you read this thing? Like, do you read it cover to cover? And he said, well, you can, but um, you might start here because the real point of this book is this guy named Jesus. And so he put, he put a bookmark in at the Gospel of John. And I took it home. I think that night I started to read it and I was basically magnetically attracted to Jesus. And, you know, my, and I have a very definite sense that certainly in a spiritual regard, I crossed over from death to life. And uh, so that, that, was, that happened when I was 23. And not very long after that, um, you know, one of the things I found going on inside was that to advance in technical fields, generally, the way that you do that is you kind of narrow your focus so you can go deeper and you become more specialized. And I actually found that the range of things I was interested in was actually going like that. And so it just, it kind of, I mean, I enjoyed the work. I, 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 I still work in a technical field, but um, I just found personally that I kind of was looking to broaden. And in the middle of all that, um, I got introduced to an MBA program that happened to be at Harvard. And um, it just kind of sort of met me at the place where I was at. And so um, not very long after I became a Jesus follower, I found myself at Harvard Business School and the Christian Fellowship Group was really a lifeline. And, um, you know, I, I could say more about that. It was a very constructive uh, experience that I had. This was uh, a graduate uh, fellowship put together by InterVarsity. Yeah, I love InterVarsity. But tell us about the, uh, uh, what struck when I heard, uh, heard about it. Um, some time ago was uh, how you left uh, uh, business school and what InterVarsity did to prepare you. Yeah, 
so there was this really, and, and, and a little context here. So <clears throat> the structure of the uh, graduate school fellowship uh, at Harvard was um, that you have lots of graduate schools. The fellowship group integrated all of them. And, you know, so I'm at the business school, there's sure. the medical school, the law school, and we would have some meetings um, at the individual school level, but there was a lot of time that was spent together um, integrating across all of those, those graduate programs. And in fact, some of my closest lifelong friends I met in that uh, fellowship, though they were not at the business school, one in particular was at the Kennedy School of Government and another was at the architecture school. But here you have all these folks that are kind of moving into these professions. And we were led through a process that was called ordination to daily work, where basically the point of view was, and I have fed off of this my entire adult life, this point of view, which is, okay, you're gonna go become a doctor and you're gonna become a lawyer and you're gonna be in business, but all of us have the same calling, which is to be a minister of the gospel. That's, you know, you, you have one vocation that way, but you have another one which is as a minister of the gospel. And somehow going through that, that process and doing it with folks that were headed in lots of different directions kind of created this, uh, just this deep sense of identity that yeah, like, you know, I'm in the business world, but that's not actually the primary definition of my identity. Uh, and um, that has been so helpful to me and kind of as the capstone. So you would do that in your last year of graduate studies. So the, the MBA program was two years, the medical program was four, law school was three, but whatever was your final year, that's what you would do. And it actually resulted in writing a paper where you kind of anticipated, you sort of wrote a plan for your ministry. And between getting that point of view and having, having that exercise, uh, you know, right there, and I was a relatively new uh, believer it was just so formational for me and so helpful. Actually, it's incredible. And I think the, to the Wheaton students who are listening to this, uh, I think it would be, I don't know if Wheaton does this as an exercise when people graduate, but the ordination to daily work is incredible. Uh, uh, it kind of uh, gives you a, you know, puts a stake in the ground and you're gonna build your career around it. Uh, so hopefully we can adopt that with Wheaton. <laughs> well, it was another example of grace, you know, unmerited favor, because I never would have, I, I would, I, I could not have constructed that way of, you know, that program or necessarily even that way of thinking about it, but it was given to me. And I'm, I'm very grateful that it was. That's so amazing. You know, that's one of our, our goals at the Wheaton Center is that finding that intersection and really not just educating students in business, but really discipling mm. them as Christians that are going into the marketplace. And um, I love that, that narrative of how you found Jesus and reading the book of John and then, you know, your journey through Harvard had that Ivy um, University kind of mix as you graduated and went out into um, yeah. your next leadership role. I guess, did you go from Harvard to Boston Consulting? Was that your next I did. Year? I did. Yep. So when you think about that journey and, you know, going from your ordination into the marketplace, um, can you tell us about, you know, your path to becoming one of America's most innovative leaders? So amazing that, you know, on the Forbes list for multiple years now. Um, and can you tell us how faith has influenced your path, like along the way? Um, what yeah. is that like for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, first of all, I just want to say that uh, I am definitely an object lesson 
in um, greater and lesser degree in, at various times, greater and lesser degrees of um, uh, consistency with that calling. In other words, I, I do not want to hold myself up as a shining example of always having gotten it right. But what I have always had in mind is that the marketplace has been my primary place of ministry. Uh, and, and that has been because I do not meet, you know, I love being inside the church. Uh, most of my closest friends, not all of them, are uh, believers. Um, it's just a wonderfully comfortable family kind of a feeling. I don't meet more people who are asking the big questions about life. What is meaning? How do I cope with all of these you know, challenges, et cetera? I don't meet more people that are in that condition than I do in the marketplace. And so basically my whole journey has been in part about how do I, how do I interact with people um, in such a way that, uh, you know, that I fulfill both sides of the first Peter teaching to always be prepared to give an answer for the reasons for the hope we have within. And of course, the next, the very next verse says, do so with gentleness and respect. So it's kind of like how to balance all that. And, and I'd, I'd love to talk, talk with you, with you all about that. But as it relates to um, innovation, I would say I, I have always felt that I had a couple of major advantages uh, working on my behalf because I am a believer in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and two of those would be um, that we do not have to operate out of a sense of survival as it relates to the work that we're doing. And so it can go well, it can go not so well, um, and I've had plenty of both of those. Um, but where, where is one's ultimate security? And there's a resilience that comes from having your, your security and your identity not tied to the degree of professional advancement that is uh, taking place. And resiliency is definitely constructive where innovation is concerned because it's routinely the case that you have to try several things before you get it exactly right. You know, the Thomas Edison, you know, hey, Mr. Edison, you've invented a thousand light bulbs that didn't work. And his response to that was, that's all been very useful. You know, I've, I've determined a thousand ways in which I can improve on the design of the light bulb. And, um, um, and so the resiliency that comes from one's security being somewhere else, I, I would definitely highlight that. And the other is, um, as a believer, um, we see time as linear. And at the end of that timeline is something wonderful. And so there's this pull into the future. You know, it's, and it's not just about today, it's about tomorrow. Also, that's just built in. That's part of our, that's part of our um, metaphysic. That's part of our, you know, core. Uh, and so when you operate in that way, yeah, you wanna get results today. Of course you wanna get results today. But it just naturally stretches out your timeline. And, um, you know, there are very, very few overnight successes. And so having an orientation towards let's invest today, we'll get the result tomorrow. Investment and innovation are, are the two sides of the same coin. And, and I, think, I think Christians can be uniquely investment-minded, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's make the investment today. We'll get the return tomorrow because the future is inherently 
a happy, constructive place yeah. for a Christian. That doesn't mean we don't get beat up all the time, yeah. but at, it's linear. And at the end of all of it is something really fabulous. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I was struggling with the word behind Hannah's back innovation. And we just, we spoke about it recently. Uh, and I said, I, I'm not resonating with faith and innovation here. And tell me what you said uh, about innovation. Yeah. About, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, FT, maybe I didn't catch the, yeah. the whole question. Uh, Hannah said something about Jesus. and Yeah, I, as FT and I were talking about this and, and thinking about the questions that we were bringing to you, you know, why, why talk about innovation in the space of faith, which obviously I talk about all the time. Um, you know, when you go to the book of John, you look at Jesus, who was the, the light, you know, the word become flesh and, um, you know, in, in creating a solution. And, and Jesus was really amazing because we don't always think about, you know, the New Testament as being innovative. We think it's like a 2000 year old book. I think after you said, you know, it happened in ancient times. And actually, Jesus was an innovator in his day in how he treated Big people. Time. He went against oh. the norms. His disciples were like constantly like, what are you doing, Jesus? And, you know, exactly. even the woman at the well and all of that. And Scott, I was, I was telling FT, we have to talk to Scott about this because he's innovating in the space of his employees and stakeholders, um, you know, and so I would love to hear, you know, your company is not only one of the most innovative companies, but it's also one of the best employers, um, not just a best employer company, but best employers for women. And this is one of those spaces where we do see Jesus innovates um, against social norms. So um, yeah, how have you seen, you know, maybe your faith drive innovation in the space of employees and, and diversity and, and in those spaces? Yeah, thank you. Can I just throw out one other uh, example of Jesus's innovation? And, you know, this is, one, this is one of those where I just find myself thinking, if I had one fraction of his facility to reframe something and then communicate about it. When, so when he was asked, should, should our people pay the tax, mm -hmm. you know, any, any asked for the coin and then he, and then he reinterpreted, basically reframed it. He blew it up for everybody. He blew it up for the people that were trying to ensnare him and he blew it up for his followers actually. And that's something that innovators do. They just, they actually redefine the problem. Yeah. And, and in that moment, he redefined the problem for everybody. He was wildly innovative. He was off the charts innovative. So I agree. Um, well, I think, you know, if you're, if you're of, if you're of the faith, and I think one of the things that you start with is, and you just, you, and you just observe, um, you know, we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, watch what he did. I mean, this enormous concern for the well-being of people. Uh, and, um, and, and he would, you know, so he had this global eternal mission, and yet he would slow down and care for one person, one marginal person. Mm -hmm. Right. And somehow he, it all, can, you know, it all hangs together. So, you know, if we're trying to be his image bearer, we have to treat people individually as being very important. And if you bring that, if you bring that mindset to it, then all of the policies and what have you are going to basically uh, follow that. Um, you know, I will say in, in sort of linking together the topic of innovation uh, and and faith, um, one of the things that I think really applies is uh, you, it, it, this may sound kind of funny, but I think one of the primary requirements to be innovative, if you're in a leadership position, is to ask the organization for innovation. 
And you may think, well, why do you have to ask for innovation? My observation is a lot of people on Wednesday, the natural default is to do what they did on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. You know, and is there anything wrong with that? No, but you have to, you, you actually, in the leadership role, you have to, at, you have to make clear what it is you value. And, and what we value is increasing the scope of the value that we can bring to our customers. And that requires innovation. So it may sound very obvious in a way, but actually, if you don't ask for innovation, because, you know, we've got 10,000 people in our company. And so we want 10,000 people to behaving, to be behaving innovatively. So, it, you know, the first thing we have to do is communicate all of you. That's, that's what we want. Um, so that everybody will, you know, feel that. And then we have to actually make that real for people. And the way that we make that real for people is, um, you know, among other things, a willingness to spend money. So I'm back to the investment point. Mm -hmm. If you, if you keep saying to people, I want you to innovate. And every time they bring an idea forward, you say, oh, that's fine, but actually we're not gonna fund that. I mean, after a while, you're gonna train people to think, well, they don't really mean it. I mean, they're saying it, but they don't really mean it. So you have to be prepared to fund it. And if you're gonna be a responsible steward of resources, then you actually have to go into it with people. It's not, you're yeah. not just at a headline level. It's like, okay, why do you think this is gonna work? Who do you think is gonna buy this? How rapidly will they adopt it? You have to really get into it. Um, and so it becomes time intense. Yeah, and so I, I think so the, uh, the additional um, element there is the willingness to take a risk. Right? You're not going to be able to innovate if you don't take some risks sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's also where kind of your own spiritual maturity helps you to decide, okay, I'm going to take a risk here right. and innovate. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if, you, if you're ultimately secure, you can actually be further out on the risk reward curve. You know, you don't have to pull way back into this risk averse. I, I would describe myself not as risk seeking, but I am risk willing, you know, and I, and I actually want to stir the pot and find the further out ideas and the closer in ideas and sort of think of it as a portfolio. But absolutely, you know, the willingness to take risk, the willingness to get involved in the particulars, and then if some of your teammates have actually stepped out based upon your faith and their ability to get something done and say they didn't get the result, you need to be there to say, okay, I understand, you know, let's move on from this because it didn't work, but yeah. you're not going to be punished for that. You know, thank you for your willingness to take a risk as opposed to, hey, we spent N millions of dollars on that. You didn't get the results. Uh, not so sure you should have a job here anymore. That is, you will suppress innovation if you punish uh, people who take risks and, and they end up on the you know, non-producing side of having taken that risk. Yeah, by the way, uh, just for those who don't know, Ferris uh, also is risk analytics uh, software, right? So you actually help organizations right. uh, analyze and manage risk. Uh, but right. going back to the other side of uh, uh, innovation, um, I think Jesus also innovated leadership and messiahhood, right? Everybody was expecting the old type of messiah, the king conquering warrior. <laughs> and he came on a donkey uh, as a servant leader, right? So uh, being able to 
serve, to give. And I think there are two ways to build uh, your, your position in an organization. One is to use and step over other people uh, to build yourself up. The other one is to cultivate and help serve other people, right? Give to people. So uh, maybe we can go into that aspect of building your team and your people and all that. Well, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, um, two, two paired um, uh, thoughts that we actually, they're actually enshrined in some of the statements we've made about ourselves. We've actually encaps, encapsulated all of it into something that we call the Verisk way. Um, and by the way, that's another advantage that a Christian has. Can I just note this real quick? We know the value of going back to the holy text over and over and over again. How many Bible studies have I sat in where everybody is looking at the same verse? We're all responding to it. We're all seeking a deeper understanding of it. But you go back over and over and over again, and you do it with other people, and you realize the cumulative power of that in your own life, but also in the life of the community. Well, there's an analog in the business world, which is whatever are your biggest ideas, including what you value, but also how you think you best get after bringing that value to the world, write it down and talk about it over and over and over again. And, and, and somebody who is in the, the discipline of reading the scriptures and talking about them and orienting towards them knows the value of that. And so you will bring that into your work. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how frequently in the business world, the big important idea for the community doesn't get condensed and pu published and then talked about over and over again. And it is so, it's so basically important. But back to your point, FT, there, there, are, there are two ideas in my mind that are very strongly related to one another. One is, <clears throat> We, and, we, and we say this, we've, we publish this idea in the various way. We would like people who are simultaneously confident and humble, both. Not one or the other, but both. Confidence and humility, that's something that we talk about a lot because those two things tend to correlate with, on the one hand, a willingness to be personally accountable, and on the other hand, an orientation to be collaborative. And it's the, the really powerful people in the world, the people that really move things are simultaneously highly accountable and they behave that way. Yet at the same time, they are effective at collaborating with others because that's the key to harnessing more energy and scaling up what it is that you're doing. So accountable and collaborative, which are derived from confident and humble. And you know, it's easier to say confidence and humility than it is to actually be that. Um, but we talk about it uh, unabashedly at Veris, saying that's who we want to be as people. And you know what? When you say something like that, it gives people an opportunity to privately reflect and say, well, where am I on that, on that balance? And I, I know just based on the feedback I've received, that's been very helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. Just humility is uh, humility is not a uh, a subject in uh, Harvard Business School <laughs> or Columbia where I went, uh, and it truly is a biblical, a New Testament concept kind of humble servant leadership, which actually the world has adopted. Servant leadership is now being used. Uh, the the one thing uh, in in the business world, the one thing that you said, which 
And by the way, I'm taking notes. I sit on quite a few boards. I'm going to use it. One is ask the organization for innovation. Uh, the other one is you said the various way, which is to write down concept, uh, uh, encapsulize something and keep repeating it. Uh, I think the organization that did it really well was uh, Zappos, uh, delivering mm -hmm. happiness, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the, the whole company ran on two words, delivering happiness. Uh, right. And even the janitor mopping the floor knows exactly what you're doing, right? You're gonna deliver happiness to people's homes. So it's important uh, to have that, to be able to summarize the value or whatever you call it, value, mission, uh, and uh, not in a paragraph, but in a few words. You know, uh, a, ter a term that gets thrown around a lot in the business world, and you hope that everybody means it and conforms to it, is that your company be customer-centered. Mm -hmm. You know, to transpose that into, into the Christian world, another way of saying that is other-centered. Mm -hmm. You know, you company, yeah. that's me, I'm other-centered customer centered. And you know what, it, it really works. It really leads to business success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time. So before we do kind of start wrapping up, um, you know, one of the things that we want to do always at the end of these podcasts is get a, a practical takeaway. What is something we should be doing tomorrow? And I think for me this week, I'm on a, a, a kick of resilience and what does it look like as a leader to kind of keep bouncing back? So I really appreciated your comments on that, Scott, just thinking through what does it look like to be um, you know, confident and to be humble and to give people space to take risks. And so I think that that kind of idea of resilience, especially in the middle of COVID right now with you know, kind of working from home and working differently than we've worked before, um, I think that's a really good lesson to keep in mind, you know, be humble and resilient as we press on. Um, Scott, what's one thing that you would say, like, you know, what's a takeaway for tomorrow in FTL? I'll let you have one. And then I would like to, after we talk about takeaways, come back to maybe a guiding scripture. If you have a guiding scripture that, you know, is kind of central for you in this, in this moment or in all of life, we'd love to hear that. So first, um, you know, this is the homework part. No, uh, what would be one takeaway for a listener, for one of our students listening or anybody in the audience that you'd say, do this tomorrow, you know, as a follower, a faithful um, follower of Christ. Um, don't wait, do this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mine would be um, in a very uh, natural and unaffected way in a circumstance which is about the work you're doing, whatever that happens to be. And in your interactions with others, a hundred times a day, you get the opportunity to introduce yourself mm. just in a very natural, unaffected way. Uh, this is the way I do it. I introduce myself as a Jesus follower just be willing to affiliate with them. You know, you can build this whole superstructure in your mind of, you know, what is it to be a Christian in the, in the workplace? And there are things about, you know, sort of, we should be highly ethical, for example, or this kind of business versus that kind of business. There's a lot of thinking about the intersection of faith and work. I actually think the most powerful thing, I've, I've come to believe the most powerful thing is my willingness in a very natural, personal way to simply speak of my affiliation with Jesus. When, I, when I'm meeting somebody in the business world, I'll tick off whatever are the parts of my experience that are relevant for what, we'll what we're talking about, but, but I am always looking to also say, and I'm a Jesus follower. 
you know, and, and I'll tell you, I, it creates a lot of room for other people. Hmm. I'm sure some people get offended by it, but most people actually, maybe they're encouraged to, well, maybe I could talk about my commitments yeah. and, and some epic fails in the market taught me that whenever I have the idea in my head to say his name, I'm going to say his name. So my, my takeaway is if you, if it ever occurs to you in some setting to say his name, just say his name. Like just say his name. You don't. You don't have to say anything else. Just say his name. <laughs> that, that's really good. Uh, yeah. I think the world is full of stealth Christians. Uh, you could work with some people for thirty years and never even know it. So that's great. Um, can I uh, share something with both of you and whoever else is listen, listening? Uh, I teach Sunday school, so this this kind of in my studying for it, I get much more out of it than the kids. Um, Jesus said uh, in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that you, that my joy uh, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, the word in Greek is kara, which is the sister word of charis, which is grace. So when we think of grace, we should really think of joy at the same time. And that uh, if you read the whole Bible, uh, we, are, we are supposed to have joy all the time in all circumstances, in sorrow, in hardship, in pandemic. Uh, and so I just want to uh, remind whoever is listening that we, we have the basis and the reason to be joyful all the time because we have Jesus' joy that he left with us. And it may be difficult to detect or feel all the time, but we have it. So just a reminder for everyone that don't forget about your Kara, uh, because we have, we received it in Karis, which is grace. So that's my Thank you, contribution. Thank you, Such a good <laughs> reminder, joyful. too. I think, you know. We're, we're getting ready for colder weather. It's good to remember. Maybe we might use again in January once the holidays are over. <laughs> you can have joy in, in the cold. Yeah, yeah. So Scott, um, you know, on, on that note and in that tune, you know, is there is there a passage, you know, either in this season or throughout your journey that's really always resonated, you know? Um, I really thank you for sharing, you know, about, you know, failures and kind of that, that resilience and bouncing back and learning as you go. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, we're only one perfect people on this webcast, people who have never made mistakes. <laughs> Sinless. That's good. Uh, can, I, can I give you two? Yes, sure. please. Actually, I've got several, but uh, you know, I'll start with two, and if we have time, I can give you more. Um, actually, up on the wall in my office is Colossians 3.23. Mm -hmm. In all that you do, work at it with your whole heart as working unto the Lord, not men, for you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I just love that call to, uh, that call to excellence and commitment. It's a lot like Psalm 33.3. Sing to the Lord a new song, shout with joy, and play skillfully. I love that, play skillfully. Yeah. You know, that's a wonderful, and also Galatians 6, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That is so great. Um, I really, I really appreciate that. There's, I, I feel like there's a theme in, in what you've said about that kind of long-term orientation and 
being, you know, investing for the future. And I hadn't put together innovation with that kind of long-term perspective, but I really appreciate that, that ties with Galatians 6 and, and the building of skills, right? That we have, we're, we're willing to invest today in things that we might not reap a reward for um, until the future. And I, I'm sure that balances in with the risk assessments that you do as a company as well. One of my, one of my dear friends, Andy Mills, has pointed out in his study of the scriptures <clears throat> that many of the leading figures that we have in the faith going old and new testament they were the most highly productive in the last third of their life hmm. mm-hmm. it's a very interesting observation because current culture is so obsessed with youth yeah yet these towering figures of the faith many of them it was at the end of their life that they became the most productive that makes me feel good <laughs> scott thank you very much i like you know um I think a lot of people would be blessed uh, uh, by this uh, webcast and your willingness to be here on a working day. And um, uh, and so thank you. Uh, we're very grateful. It's a blessing. And we wish you the best in everything that you do. Thank you. Paris as well. Thank you. What a pleasure. And thank you for the work you're doing. I mean, just uh, and, and, and knowing how you go about this and yeah. getting ideas circulating among students, among uh, uh, alumni, yeah, and other I, people interested. I mean, thank you for is, what you're doing. Yeah, this is aimed at working people, professionals. So yeah. students are, it happens to be at Wheaton, so hopefully the students tune in, awesome. tune in as well. And we want to not abandon the academy, the business world, and all of that as Christians. Mm-hmm. Our... Uh, values, our ideas, our presence should be there at the top, at the bottom, in the middle of all of these places. So uh, thank you for being part of this. My pleasure. Yeah, can we do this really quickly in prayer? Love to. Would you be willing to pray? I'd love to. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we can gather this way. And it's the whole body of Christ, um, uh, even though we're not physically present with one another. Um, and 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 it makes us uh, so grateful for the way that you created uh, the world and e- equipped us to be able to harness that creation and, you know, build out platforms like Zoom and the electronic devices um, that, that we're on here. Um, uh, you are a creator. You are the source of creation. And um, thank you that you've equipped us in this way and that your design uh, includes um rely there's 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 order in it there's reliable cause and effect that lets us harness the creation and uh, make use of it in the way that we are today you know that's kind of the hardware sideboard but thank you also for the uh i guess you could call it the software the 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 the, the, the relatedness that we have the um the ease of relationship because we all look to you jesus as our lord and savior and and so just this natural and uh, unusual level of um, uh, relationship and connection that we can achieve so quickly, um, facilitated by you and the Holy Spirit. And so it's really, it's really marvelous, actually. I, I wish, you know, I just know, Father, so many people that just kind of aren't settled and, um, you know, uh, wondering, is this all the world has to offer? And is this it? And things like that. I just wish they could experience just what we've done over the last 30 minutes, which is to think the elevated thoughts of your scripture, share them with one another, um, uh, appreciate one another and, and our, and our um, connectedness 
And um, uh, especially in this disrupted moment that we live in, it's just such a joy. It's so foundational. Um, and we didn't cause it. You did. You did. You know, you ask us the question in your scriptures, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing, including the opportunity to exist, uh, to ex experience this conversation today. So for everybody listening, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage and strengthen them from the inside, meet them at their point of need and assure them of your, your presence and your love, which is so transformative. And uh, Jesus, we pray all this in your magnificent name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for being with us and for your time today. I uh, definitely am going away encouraged and um, really grateful for your for your input. Same here, and good and good luck with the work at the center. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Bye now. <laughs>